Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Relius Anderson. My guest today truly embodies that phrase. James Whitaker is a three-time best-selling author, speaker, and entrepreneur. On his Win the Day podcast, he interviews the world's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and business leaders to unlock their secrets to success. His work has been translated into over 10 languages, and his book, Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, is a modern companion to the best-selling self-help book of all time. James is the most passionate about helping entrepreneurs and C-level executives win the day every day in every possible way. James, thank you for being here today, my friend. It's an honor to have you on, and I know you have a lot going on, so thank you for your time. I'm very grateful for you and for having such a great show, so thank you very much for having me, Marcus. And you and I were talking about you having that background, this big noun that's called action, so action is a big thing. Why do people enjoy talking more about doing things or strategizing about doing things than actually doing the work? Why is that? It's so easy to, to do that. And there's a, a quote that I love from Napoleon Hill. I, I love a good quote, and I, I don't think I've ever introduced a quote so early into a, a podcast episode. <laughs> yes. so, yeah, so we're setting records for that. But the Napoleon Hill quote, action is the real measure of intelligence. It is such an important thing. It's so easy for someone to go and put some money down and, and get an annual gym membership and then do nothing. It's that moment of how do we continue when we are faced with adversity for the first time. So for anyone who's setting goals, I really like to think about brainstorming and mapping out what are all the things that can, can possibly or, or very likely to go wrong and what are the things that we can do to alleviate that to give us the best chance of success. And part of that is going to be surrounding yourself with the right people. I'm a massive believer in finding someone who has the success that you already have and just doing exactly what they tell you and committing to the process. An example of that would be on that fitness goal that we just mentioned there. That would be like getting a personal trainer and staying disciplined to a plan and maybe even having a, a dietitian at the same time, rather than just going and getting an annual gym membership and then giving yourself a pat on the back for essentially doing nothing. Yeah, we have to have skin in the game. And so many people think that that may be enough is to get that little membership that, like you said, it's just going to trickle away from them little by little. But that's what's so important is to have somebody that's actually done it. And honestly, somebody that, has, that cares enough to kick in the ass a little bit when it's like, listen, we've agreed to these things. You claim that you want this, but your results are showing me something different. So that shows that there's a lot of work to be done. That bit's huge. I, you know, as a good friend of mine, William Branham, a 26-year Navy SEAL, and he had said to me that one of the best things about BUDS and, and just the SEALs more broadly is that when one of the people is not pulling their weight, the other people are instantly going to pull them back into line and be like, hey, Marcus, you, you haven't turned up with the right energy or the right focus today. Come on, we've got we to reel it in. And just as he would say to those other SEALs too. So I think that's a, a great attribute of a high-performing team. Absolutely agree. He, he had so many pieces of gold. He, he, for those of you that haven't listened to him, he's been on your show? He, we have that episode coming up very soon. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I highly recommend everybody listen to that. 
an incredible man, 26 years in the teams, like you said. I asked him, I said, how do people get through surf torture and buds? And he said, one breath, one rep, one moment at a time. If you're thinking about Friday on Monday, he said, you're already screwed and you're not going to make it. So this is why the importance of having the long-term goal is key, but having these micro goals, or I call them micro adversities, these small things that we can see. And even though it's difficult, it's enough to allow us to level up. And it's that litmus test that helps us get to that next level, that catalyst, if you will. It's huge. I do like this fitness class here where it's just 45 minutes of someone yelling at me. I just, I love that. I just, I'm so much more accountable to to that rather than trying to do it at home, especially with with two young kids and anyone who's listening who has a, as a parent, you'll know how tough that can be to go and get some of those things that you know you need to be doing that you're not doing. And the instructor often mentioned, her name's Vanessa. She often mentions for some of these exercises, the body is willing. It's just is whether or not you're going to be able to do it mentally. And Every time I hear that and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the physical pain, I'm like, damn it, I can't give in now. I teach all this stuff about winning the day. I have to stick with this. So I feel like that's, that's what it's about. There's so much in life that we, can, we, we know we can do it, but we just haven't made that, that commitment and we just don't have the right people around us, the, the environment, all of those different things are not conducive to us achieving those goals that we want to have. And it's like the, the space that I have here for anyone who might be watching the video of this, like, I walk into this space and it, it fires me up, this giant canvas print that says action, the difference between having and wanting, and all of the people that I hang around are, are very much high performers. They're not people who, who tap out very early because it's finishing things that makes us successful, not starting things. So many people, they just, they want to brag about how they started something. Who cares that you started something? Tell me, tell me something that you've actually done. And then don't rest on your laurels from what you've already done, right? Just because you did it yesterday doesn't mean you're doing it today. And it doesn't mean you're going to have the metal to do it tomorrow and the day after. Huge. And it's not to dissuade anyone who's, who's made that initial commitment to getting something done. Of course, that's very, very important. The, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. But another sort of like Navy SEAL ethos, like the only easy day was yesterday. It's such a great mentality. It's like, yeah, life is going to absolutely kick you on your ass. And that's where a lot of the personal development work that I do today, the, the way that it's different to so many other of the more established, recognized players in the, in the game is almost this pursuit of like this perfect life. Or I like to sort of flip that around and say that, yes, life is going to absolutely kick you on your ass so often, often out of left field. There are people that I've interviewed, and I'm sure you've interviewed too, people who have been confronted with the most harrowing of circumstances through no fault of their own. They've been put in a coma, six months in the spinal ward, triple amputee at the age of 18, all of these, you know, blind at the age of 18, all of these, these crazy stories. How are you going to respond when something like that happens to you? And I just think that that attitude of, of being grateful, no matter what sort of situation you're in, and, and something quite frankly that I, that I think about a lot is how the Buddhist tenet, the first tenet of Buddhism, that all life is suffering. And the source of that suffering is wanting, wanting something that we don't currently have or that we see something that someone else has. Yet Napoleon Hill wrote that the starting point of all achievement is desire. So how do we balance the all life is suffering because we have desire with we need desire to be able to get something to happen? And I think so much of equating all that is having something in mind in terms of a direction and a destination of where we want to go. But removing ourselves from judging where we're at and just enjoying the process as we continue to put one foot in front of the other. Well, and that's so key because until we can accept where we are right now without sugarcoating it, 
I always say that diversity doesn't tell you who you are. It strips away all the bullshit that you're not. So all these lies, all these errors that you put on to impress other people don't mean anything. And lots of times when we get down to the bare essence of ourselves, it's not pretty, but it's not supposed to be. We're going to see a lot of things that we don't like, but therein lies the beauty. Therein lies the opportunity. And that's why I always say adversity is a gift because it forces you to look at all of these chinks in your honor. It shines light on the stuff that you don't want to see. But until you're willing to do that, there's no way for you to truly even know where you're going. It's like having a map and not knowing where your starting point is, let alone where your destination is. You could be going the wrong way for years. Yeah. And like, have you ever been faced with a business problem where years you've been racking your brains over like, just how do I get to that destination or what do I do to get that result? And someone else looks at it and just goes, oh, have you thought about this? And just ding, you know, just having someone, just people, we, we live our own lives with our blinkers on it. It certainly happens to me. I was speaking at an event last week in Wisconsin and I was leading a workshop there and so many people just had these epiphanies of like, wow, I just, you know, I'd never thought about it like that. Just as they were able to help me with different things where just having the, the power of the right people around you and getting outside of your, your own head, because if you don't have that, your instinct will be to run harder on the treadmill and harder on the treadmill. And eventually those, those roads lead to burnout, which is not good for your business. It's not good for your family. It's not good for your own health. It's just not good for anything. Yeah, it's not sustainable. And, and if we have a client that enjoys that aggressive coaching, which we can both be aggressive when we need to coach, but if I'm yelling at them, that gets a, a little bit of a reaction, but there's going to be 20% of the time when it doesn't. And if I don't have the capacity to shift gears, to sense that, and if they're not willing to understand that, then they are going to burn out. It's not sustainable. And we have to have these other skill sets to circumvent and to come from an oblique manner to still serve them, right? Yeah, that's such a really, that's such a mic drop moment there. Anyone listening to this podcast, please rewind 15 <laughs> seconds and listen to what Marcus just said that there. One of the biggest compliments that I've received was from a client who's a very, very successful CEO in the United States. He'd sent me a thank you message because we'd had a coaching session and he had said during that moment that I sensed his energy and I wasn't trying to introduce anything new. We just went straight back to self-help and asking how he's doing and those simple things that, that might mean nothing. And, and anyone who's a coach the byproduct of us trying to help people is that we overburden them with content. We're, we're so busy trying to prove our own value. It's certainly been a, a weakness of mine is like, look, here's all this content. But if you're not sensing the energy that someone has, you need to meet them where they're at right now with that awareness to guide them to where they want to be and, and where you want to get them to. I call it pragmatic empathy, whether it be with a client or whether it be with the CEO. You go into a company and the CEO is like, I don't care about my people. I just want you to help my morale. And they're just like, oh my God, first of all, there's so much wrong with this. Yes. But again, the empathy, you have to be able to see where he's at, even though it may be skewed or a little bit toxic, coming from that place. And now we can better serve them. How many times have we seen people in a room where they divide the room unintentionally because they're like, we're going to go do this, do this, do this. And this side of the room's like, yeah, and they're throwing the tables. <laughs> the other side of the room is like, well, if we're going to quadruple what we did last year, that means I had to work four times as hard. And I almost killed myself last year doing this. I don't want to do that again. So we have to be very aware of that like, ability to read the room, see what the senses are telling us, and then be smart enough. Like you said, as a coach, we don't have to prove ourselves. Let's just serve this person. And that's what's going to get them where they need to go. Yeah. So much of that just comes through putting the reps in, in whatever, whatever profession you're in, like the adaptability. There's a quote that I love from Stephen Covey, seek first to understand and then be understood. And if you can meet someone where they're at and ask all of the questions to truly understand where they're at, that's so much better than for you to be adaptable to, to move the conversation or the solution to where it needs to be. 
something that I always think is a red flag of people who are so quick to give advice without asking any questions first. How the hell do you even know what they want or what's a good fit for them? <laughs> ask questions, ask really good questions. And the best coaches in the world who I, I love to study these people, just as I study stand-up comics and, and all these different people for tips on communication and doing things like creating the empathy and awareness like we've been talking about, they ask questions. They ask really, really, really good questions. And when you can do that really well, I mean, there are billion-dollar founders that I have had interviews with who were just so grateful to have a really valuable conversation from the good questions that have come up, you know, exactly like the questions that you and I have, have spoken about before and, and offline. Like, I can tell that you get it straight away. And it's so true with that emptiness. The word empty and empathy are spelled similarly for a reason. It's not a coincidence. I have to empty myself of expectation. I have to empty myself of trying to sound smart. I just need to shut up, listen to this person. And lots of times, like you say, if we either we ask the right question, sometimes even that silence is enough to make them have that epiphany on their own. For sure. And we just happen to be there to facilitate it. Yeah, definitely. So powerful. I see that you have a Buddha in the background there. Is Buddhism a, a big philosophy for you? Or do you have kind of a multitude of ones that create what, what you believe and what you're practicing today? Yeah, it's a really good, it's a really good question. The, the philosophies for me, so I often talk about winning the day and helping people win the day. Like that's really become like the mantra for everything that I do with all the people that I, that I work with. And my primary work at the moment is helping business owners who want to get more listeners, clients, and credibility from a podcast. So that's like the, the primary work that I'm doing at the moment. But all of the other stuff I've done around that in terms of the podcast and everything else is about winning the day. So that's the thing that I'm known for. And that really, the origins of that came from Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich when he wrote that the poverty conscience will automatically overtake any mind that is not preoccupied with being success conscious. And I heard that and I was like, wow, like it doesn't matter what it is that you want, whether it's health, whether it's money, whether it's love, whatever it is, if you're focused on what it is that you want rather than what it is that you don't have, then you're gr and you take extreme ownership and accountability, then you are greatly empowered to create those circumstances that you, that you want. It's such a big piece of the puzzle that so many people neglect. And a big frustration for me in the work that I do is that I recognize, sadly, that if people use the exact same amount of energy that they use to complain about their circumstances, if they took that exact same amount of energy and instead redirected that to what they want, then they would be well and truly on their way, if not exceeding what it is that they want. So the, the, the philosophies for me, that, that's really the origins of it. And having an intent, acknowledgement very early in the day that the day is here to be won or lost, and I'm going to win this day. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. It doesn't matter how I'm feeling. I wake up and I recognize that there is a decision to be made. And I look down at the mind tent bracelet that I have here that's got win the day written on it. I look down at this and I make the decision to win. That's what I call the acknowledgement phase. And then I move into the sacrifice phase, which is the cold shower. It's me proving that I'm going to turn up for the day. And then the next step from there is writing three things that are going to make today a win. So I already have, I already have made the acknowledgement. I've made the sacrifice. I know what winning is going to look like for me on that day. And then you just work that plan. And if you rinse and repeat, you're going to make incremental steps that over time add up to a lot. And those three things that would make today a win, they're very rarely, if ever, for the same category. One might be about relationships. One might be about business. And the other one might be health. Anytime I need to go and get like the gym session done, 
that to me already, I feel like I've won the day if I can do that. Because again, with a, with a six-month-old baby and a very energetic three-year-old toddler and two working parents, we've got some help, which is great, but it's tough to be able to, to do those things. So that's, that's sort of the way that I look about that overall philosophy. And it's something that I, that I live by. And it's very, very important to me. I have respect for any philosophy that has action within it. And a philosophy is only as good as the person that's wielding it. It's like a tool. So again, we can quote all these things all day. But like you said, if we can't get our ass out of bed, get in a cold shower and begin to execute. And I absolutely agree with you as well. The monumental is done by the incremental. We just stack it. It's that ROI that just keeps coming back to us. And even with that idea of looking down at that bracelet, we all have a cognitive bias. Why don't we lean into it? Why don't I tell myself that I see adversity as a gift? Why don't I just say I am going to win the day? As opposed to being in this place of reactionary, now we become a victim and now everything is self-perpetuating thereafter. Yeah, and people talk a big game. I mean, I literally wear win the day on my wrist. Like it's such a it's such a powerful, important thing to me. But I think it's important for for people to recognize that I'm actually not a morning person. Then and that was like like I don't think there's been a single time, a single moment in my entire life when I've woken up and gone, wow, I am so grateful for the day. My instinct when I wake up is to be like, why, you know, this pillow is very comfortable. This bed is unbelievably comfortable. I should be sleeping on a bed of nails so I can get my ass out of bed a bit faster in the morning. But the moment that that routine starts of the acknowledgement, the sacrifice, the three things that would make today a win, it is on. And I think I'm at the absolute, you know, the top 0.1% in the world from that moment, ideally once I've got a bit of natural light, a bit of sunlight as well. So you don't need to wake up screaming, yes, I'm, I'm here to win the day. I recognize my strengths and weaknesses and have incorporated that in the process rather than judging myself. I've, as you've sort of alluded to there, I am leaning more into something that I once resisted that I could never stick to, which created an enormous amount of frustration and negative self-talk. Now I'm okay with giving myself 10 minutes in the morning just to enjoy being there before the, before the chaos of the, of the family erupts. And I really, really enjoy and value that because I just don't get many other opportunities throughout the day to be able to, to sort of have that peace and quiet. Well, and deprivation breeds appreciation, right? If we don't have very much of it, those 10 minutes for you are sacred. It's almost like this time between waking and dreaming. And that's when you can get so much done in that space. If you're willing to be consistent, if you're willing to embrace that and be present within it, I think so many times, especially people that are younger, maybe they have what they feel is like this huge multitude of time and they can do anything. And those are the ones that oftentimes don't get a lot done because they keep thinking they can do it later. I'll do it tomorrow, what have you. But if you hear anything that, that James and I are talking about, you will hear action in all of it. You don't know how much time you have. And I don't mean that in a dark way, but I mean that things change, priorities change, the world changes. If there's something that you want now, at least go boldly in that direction and then see how the path unfolds as you walk. Yeah, it's well said. A lot of, fr- I don't know what's happened, but like the last little bit, there's a lot of friends of mine whose parents have, have passed away. And it's, it's a big reminder that our time here on this planet is, is short and we need to have that appreciation and, and go after what it is that we, that we want. When you start having kids, you become acutely aware of the mortality of your own parents that, you know, you reach a point where, you know, my dad, He's 82 years old at the moment. He's in great health for an 82-year-old. But I was calculating that the other day, like based on his age and, and how infrequently I'm now able to travel back to Australia based on having a young family and everything else. It's like a 15% chance that every time I go back there from now on, it will be the last time that we have a conversation. And 
it's a difficult thing. It, it, you have that, we, we carry that burden. Well, I, I feel like I certainly do. While at the same time, you carry those worries and, and fears that you have for your own kids. And when you stack that with your own goals of all those different things, it, it can become very, very overwhelming. So if you're trying to undertake a discipline or habit that you are almost certain or that you've just tried so much that you just know is not going to work for you, I would much rather just recognize that, look, you know, I'm not going to commit to waking up and jumping out of bed. Like, I'm like, you know what, let's, let's make that a strength rather than a weakness. Let's just have 10 minutes of peace and calm in the morning. And that is motivating to me and gives me that peace so I can really get after it for the rest of the day. Because the alternative of that would be the demotivating start that introduces the negative self-talk, which doesn't put me in a good headspace and would lead to more irritability in the home. It would lead to more irritability in, in my business and just wouldn't really be good in, in any situation. Yeah, it creates this negative cascade of emotions. This, Like you said, this narrative where what we start doing is we start basically negotiating with the terrorists in our mind. <laughs> we start asking questions that even the answers are going to be disempowering. Why, why is things always so hard for me? Why do I always get the bad break? Well, if you listen to those questions, it's not going to help you, even if I answer it correctly. And our mind is designed to answer questions. So if you're asking the wrong questions, you're never going to win. But if you're asking, why, why shouldn't I be able to do this? I have all the tools that I need. I need to just fight at this point. When we can do that and it's action-based, it's a lot easier for us to at least put one foot in front of the other to move forward. Yeah. And, and from, it's so well said. And from a business perspective, the tasks that we know that we need to complete that are on our plate that just aren't getting done outsource them. If they're tasks that really need to be complete, it doesn't matter who does them, just get them done. And these can be sort of random things. I know there are things that I'm like, yep, I put my hand up. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. A week, you know, a month, however long passes. And if that task hasn't been done, the job then is to say, cool, my responsibility is to get the task completed. Let's just get it taken care of. Yeah. I couldn't do a podcast or any of the stuff that I do unless I had a team. I couldn't get my my speaking engagements, unless I had the team doing all the legwork for me, I did not have the time to make calls, to send emails, to do all that stuff. And like you said, once we take our ego out of it, I can do everything. You can, but you shouldn't. And there's, there's only a few things that I'm good at. So I try to stay in my wheelhouse as best I can. <laughs> and I've noticed that when I quadruple down, that's when I'm able to actually help more people. So Oh, it's huge. And I think the four most dangerous words for any business owner or entrepreneur are, I'll just do it. <laughs> it's like this. It's like the opposite of the Nike slogan, I'll just do it. It's like, really, you're doing everything, yet you want a holiday, yet you want to spend time with your kids, yet you want to have good physical and mental health. It's like, yeah, I'll just do it. And you'll die at the age of 30 from, from being too stressed. So yeah, I like just being able to figure out you as the, as the business owner, your job is to get the outcomes. You can assign the right people to being able to do that. So you can hopefully make yourself redundant rather than being so precious. And even if you can only get it done at 80% effectiveness, but you're being able to build a growing team who can do all of those different things. I mean, you're still moving the boat forward a hell of a lot quicker and a lot more peacefully than if you had been doing everything yourself. And I just... I. <laughs> I know we've mentioned the Navy SEALs a bit already today, but there was something that, that William Branham had shared with me that you train your people to do it meticulously, just like in the SEALs. They are unbelievably good and prepared at the stuff that they do, this limited range of expertise that's essential and absolutely critical and very, very significant and important, but it's a, it's a small range. They just dial that in so much. And if you can train people to do what they need to do, just train them unbelievably well to start off with and then let them go 
to be able to get the outcome and just say, look, if you need some support from me, let me know and we'll, we'll troubleshoot it together. But um, rather than trying to micromanage or doing everything yourself, which is just frustrating for everyone. It is, especially the person that's being micromanaged, because chances are, if you hire them and you vet them properly, you say you want a, a self-starter, you want a person who's motivated, and then you've got them under your thumb and they're like, this is not what I signed up for. I have found if I lead properly, the momentum from that leadership through my team comes back to me, even on the days when I'm like dragging ass and I don't feel like doing it. It's like seeing them do it comes back. So it's almost like my own force gives me that momentum, even when I don't feel like pedaling sometimes. And sometimes, as you said, that's the thing that allows you to get that monumental place through these, these smaller, these incremental steps. Yeah. Why would you bring on like a graphic designer or a video editor and, and be like, here is how you need to, to do it? I'm like, I don't know anything about video editing. I don't even want to learn. Please, <laughs> opening, the, opening the, the program, I look at it like I just got a new MacBook. I recently moved to the dark side from being a Windows user my entire <laughs> life. I opened Final Cut Pro, which I thought would be really easy to use. I opened it up. I, I messed with it for 20 minutes. I'm like, I couldn't even figure out how to open this file that I was trying to open. So I, I had an even healthier respect for my video editing team there. The graphic design people, I don't know anything about graphic design apart from I know enough to know there's a lot of things that the, the difference between amateur hour versus what the professionals do. I'm like, you just go and here is, here is the outcome of what I want. Do it however you want it to be done. And you might even completely take it out of left field, which could even make it better. Yeah, they, that's what we're there for. We're, we're there to help them think outside the box so that we don't have to because if we're doing it correctly, we have enough on our plate as it is to, to get that stuff focused down on. What is a piece of advice that you hear in this arena that we live in that is just false, but is continually repeated over and over again? I think the biggest one about how everyone thinks each day needs to be so full of joy and elation, that's definitely one where I think, which a lot of like really high level founders have told me, don't let the highs get too high and don't let the lows get too low. And I think that's very simple, but very effective advice. Another one, probably, uh, probably the biggest one actually would be people who are saying to everyone, you've got to wake up at like four in the morning across the board. I mean, I've interviewed Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor. He, do you know Michael? I know who he is, but uh, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. I definitely need to connect you with him to, to come on the show. He's, he's great. And he's like, there are four different chronotypes. If you're telling someone who's a certain chronotype that needs to be up at 7.30 a.m., if you're telling them to wake up at 4 a.m., you're telling them to do something they physiologically cannot do. So they will fail at that. And I, I have tried so many times as someone who really enjoys all this biohacking and getting the most in terms of performance out of each day. I've really tried to wake up at sort of four in the morning and five in the morning and try and do that stuff when everyone else is asleep. And I'm a complete zombie no matter what I do. And I, I can't stand it. But I can do that at nighttime between sort of the hours of eight o'clock and, and 10 o'clock at night. I have so much more energy. I feel so much more productive. If I already wake up feeling a little bit sluggish until my morning routine properly starts, that works really well for me. But almost every time I open TikTok or Instagram, I hear someone saying, yes, you need to wake up at, you know, here I am waking up at three in the morning and I meditate for six hours. Then I do all these different things. I'm like, all right, you think that's, you think someone with a family or a real business owner can, can sort of implement that? I just think it's, it's tough to give that advice across the board. It is. And like you said, it's setting these people up to fail. And I know that you're big on money routines, but I'm similar. I'll, I'll give my clients a, an hour version, a half hour version, and then a 10 minute version. That way they can win no matter what. They don't beat themselves up and say, 
shit, I didn't get it done. It's like, listen, if you can give yourself even a little bit of this, you're still winning. You're still reinforcing that. You're still anchoring that in a way that's going to serve you as opposed to making you feel like you've already started on the back foot and now you're trying to catch up for the next 23 hours. Yeah. I saw Gabby Reese post a video on that recently. That's like, it's you're a hundred percent spot on rather than getting critical and judgmental at ourselves for not getting something done. Say, look, my intent was to do a 45 minute workout or, or whatever. I just don't have the time for that. But you know what? I have turned up for this day. I'm just going to do five minutes. And that over time leads to, leads to really big things. Well, and it's quality over quantity, right? If a person normally talks in the, to other people in the gym for 30 minutes, they get a 15-minute workout and maybe they'd be better off staying at home and getting 20 minutes by themselves. So, Yeah. And John, John Asaraf, who a lot of people know from the movie The Secret, he had shared to me the difference between intensity versus consistency. Those who focus on intensity, like if the goal is to run a marathon, you focus on intensity. So day one, you would go and run a marathon and you would, you know, you'd be in hospital 45 minutes later. But if you focused on consistency of just every day, and I have a client of mine, great guy in Australia, he's run every single day for the last eight years because he looked at himself in the mirror, you know, in in his words, he said, I don't like this big fat guy staring back at me. And he committed to running every single day day. I mean, eight years of, of this. I don't think he even recognizes how big an, of an achievement that is, but that's focusing on consistency. And he's about to go and do his first marathon. He's done a bunch of half marathons, but he's about to go and do his first marathon. I was like, look, take a moment to enjoy that because you've, you've come a long way from, yeah, just staring at yourself in the mirror and not being happy with, with what you see. And that's something I'd like to, to talk about as well. We talk with peak performers and lots of times, what is it? They had this goal, they hit it, next one. They don't stop, they don't pause, they don't reflect, they don't digest. As a matter of fact, some of them don't even respect the goal once they've crushed it. Tell us about why it's so important to do that and how it can actually can be detrimental if we're not respecting these things that we're working so hard to get to in the first place. Yeah, I think there's a middle road with that. Too many people don't make any acknowledgement for, for where they're at. And I'm very much one of those people. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. I, I have to very proactively you know, commit to being like, cool, I'm going to go and take a moment for myself to acknowledge that or whatever it is. Just as there are people who celebrate so much overdoing something that they don't have the motivation then to be able to continue. They might be the people who go and do some big social media post about being 10% through a, through a goal and they want all the praise and they're like, yeah, I feel like I've already got the job done and, and they're just demotivated for the, for the rest of it. So it's very, very, very important, like we mentioned earlier, to finish a task and enjoy the success of that. But at the same time, we need to recognize that if you're serious about more impact, if you're serious about more influence or whatever it is that, that your goal is, that there is work to be done. And again, this is like people always ask me like, oh, what's it like to, to write a best-selling book or to, to, to do all these different, to have a book out? And I've had three books come out now. I don't think there's been a single one of them where I held it in my hands and I was like, wow, how good is the book? How good am I? I've just never, I've just never had that moment. I'm thinking like, cool, the job now, the writing the book was the easy part. That's the 20%. The 80% now is how do I get this book into the hands of as many people as possible? So it's like the mission readjusts, but because I'm so focused in presence each day and enjoying each day, and let's face it, we all have, we all have very difficult days and we're always a, always a work in progress, but that's what I'm doing. I'm readjusting the mission, but staying grounded in, in the present day and the present moment. I love that. And that's, that's very much uh, indicative of, of your work. On the Think and Grow Rich, the legacy, tell us a little bit about that, how that came to being and, and how much of an impact it's having all over the world today. 
Well, Think and Grow Rich is the book that changed my dad's life. So I've always been aware of its power. And while I've never had any joyous moments in terms of the the books here, and I think part of that might be a little bit of imposter syndrome in terms of like, how are people going to respond to this and, and that type of thing too. But something that does make me smile and very grateful is when I open a package from, you know, like up here, there's the Think and Grow Rich, a legacy in Japan. You know, it's written in like all the Japanese characters and things. I, I unfortunately can't read a word of <laughs> word of Japanese, so I'll take their word for it. But <laughs> the fact that it's now in all these different languages, I, I that is that is something for me that I, I really enjoy. But the to be involved with making a film for the first time on the best-selling self-help book of all time is just something that I was very grateful to be involved in, primarily for the relationships that it led to. There are people like Don Green, who's the CEO of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. He's a very close friend. We talk every couple of weeks. He's a, he's a great guy. And as a result of that friendship, I, I feel like I have a great sense of duty to be able to do the right thing by the Napoleon Hill Foundation because there's so many people out there that just want to leverage that Think and Grow Rich name. And I see people out there who they, they claim that there's, they're these big Think and Grow Rich advocates. And you see the stuff that they're doing and the content that they're posting. And it's clear to me and anyone else who is a real student of the book that they haven't even read the freaking book. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's important to sort of honor that, that legacy. I couldn't agree more. And I think in today's society, many people are more, they're happier to read a quote out of context than to <laughs> yeah. read an entire book in context, right? That's what they want to do. They want that little soundbite and that gives them that little punch of dopamine, whether it be on Instagram or TikTok or wherever. But the reality is it's heartbreaking to me as, as an author that they say that almost half the people may not even finish your book. So we bleed onto the page and we give everything that we can. And yet that may not be enough, but yet maybe that first 50%, maybe that's enough. We were discussing earlier how sometimes the way that we say something, maybe in advertising, they talk about the eighth to 11th touch, that that's the one that closes it. So maybe the way that you say talking about action today, maybe the difference between somebody actually beginning to say, you know what, I'm going to get off my ass and actually start running tomorrow. Then the people that say they'll just keep waiting and keep waiting and keep intending. And before you know it, it's uh, 20 years later. Yeah, that, that context that you mentioned there is a very important piece of the puzzle. And it's why I still like to oversee as much as I can reasonably manage all of the social media captions and things that are going out. Because if you're outsourcing the stuff and someone doesn't have the context of, of what was brought up, then it's, you know, it can make a really big difference. I had a coaching call with a client yesterday and he asked me the question and I said to him, so the, the, the context of that was he's finding partners. So people who have his, he's like his target market in droves, but no competitive overlap. So good partners for his business. So he's finding like a lawyer and an accountant and, and mortgage broker and those different things. And I said, well, you could even organize sort of multiple lunches for that. And he said, well, how would I handle it if they feel like I'm sort of undercutting them or having relationships with other people? And I said, to the right people, you can do no wrong. And to the wrong people, you can do no right. That's not my quote. That's a quote that, that already exists. I've just forgotten the author, sadly. And he said to me, you have mentioned that quote to me about five times because of the, the different group coaching settings that I've been involved with him in. And he said, I've never properly understood it until you gave me that context. And that's why context is so important. I thought anyone, like I love that quote so much. I'm like, anyone would hear that and they would know exactly what it means. And he said, no, that was the very first time that he really understood it with that context. So yeah, that's a very important word, especially in the world we're in today. Yeah, content without context is, is garbage at best. And we also see that a lot of people are sort of regurgitating what other people are doing. Again, Think and Grow Rich, how many people have 
essentially ripped off all kinds of quotes from there, change a word or two, put their name on it to make them sound smart. And I'm not trying to to punch those people in the mouth or anything, but I am saying that maybe if you would just read the book and digest it. Right now we're in this this level where everybody thinks that the more that they consume, the more that they're going to know. But until you put it into play, until you actually digest it, I always say that information that is learned and acquired but not utilized is the equivalent of ignorance. So I would rather you sit down with Think and Grow Rich or three or four books for a year and just love that thing, read that thing, bleed that thing, put it into play. How can I use this right now? And you're going to get a lot more out of that than you would if, because I know a lot of people will, I read 50 books last year. Really? Which, give, tell me, give me your, your top five. <laughs> um, well, I read this is this. Tell me three things you learned from that book. Um, well, it was a really good book. And it's like, so stop trying to pat yourself on the back for being smart. Actually put this stuff into play. And if we put most people on under the spotlight and say, listen, tell me something you've already learned that you're not applying yet, there probably is already two or three things. And you were talking earlier about how if we can actually put the things that we're not good at on somebody else, when we talk about clients, I have a client, I was saying that the answer that you seek is found in the adversity that you're avoiding. So for him, it was about sales or trying to get to these people and trying to make a cold call. It's like, that's where your answer is. If you look at the answer, you don't want to do it. So are you going to hire somebody out? Are you going to create some sort of you know systems or process? Because if you're not doing that, no matter how good you are, nobody's going to know who you are, what the product does or the service that you provide. And it's hard for you to serve the world if they don't know. Yeah, it's so true. And Think and Grow Rich, I mean, it was released in 1937 and was very much adapted from the laws of success, which came out from you know so much many years before that too. And so that book has been bastardized and adapted in so many different ways. So my biggest thing was like, how can I make this book resonate with an entirely new audience and do it in a completely fresh way? And a lot of people have actually said to me that they've tried to read Think and Grow Rich and it was just too sort of scientific almost, like too technical for them, too complicated. So they went to Think and Grow Rich, The Legacy, my book, which is really a collection of short stories because people remember stories and they, we, can, we can see how other people have been able to do extraordinary things. Like you can see how John Lee Dumas built a $20 million a year business within six years through his podcast. Like you can see how these things are happening, how real people have been able to do it. People remember that and they're inspired by that rather than a regurgitation of something that was written so well that it's hard to even want to replicate that. It's a bit like rewriting the Bible. You would never want to do that. People want that sort of instant validation of being involved with it. As you said, there's been so many people I've seen who just slap their name on it and just throw it up on on, on their own website and, and they think that that gives them some authority when they haven't done the reps in terms of asking the questions, like the great questions that you and I have, have spoken about today and the interviews that I do in various forums. Like I'm, I, I spend so much time on crafting really important personalized questions for that situation because that leads to, to massive opportunities over time. And I, I feel like I'm just, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm very much scratching the surface even after all the incredible things that have happened through the power of relationships, asking powerful questions and giving without the expectation of getting anything in return. And I'm the same way. I have a whole line of questioning here, but yet as we go and I'm present, we, it evolves naturally as it shall and unfolds into this beautiful conversation where we can cover all kinds of uncharted areas that if I'd have tried to do it before, we probably wouldn't have got there. So <laughs> every person I've ever met that's been successful, especially at the very top performers, there's always been some sort of adversity in their life. As a matter of fact, there's usually a direct correlation to how much adversity they endure, process, overcome, and then go to the next level from. And in my TEDx and in my book, I talk about being paralyzed from the neck down, being told I'd never walk again, dying on the table twice, and having to re 
reevaluate my life at 40. Can you tell us about an adversity that you faced in your life that at the time you did not think you were going to get through it or you didn't know how you were going to get through it, but yet on the other side, you got this incredible superpower, this gift that you wouldn't have gotten in any other way? I've had so many of those moments in my life. One of the biggest turning points for me was when I was interviewing these people and recognizing that they were actually no smarter than me. I was like, that was a big epiphany for me. I'm looking across at these people, and this isn't an arrogant thing. Anyone who knows me well would know that I'm one of the least arrogant, ego-driven people on the planet, not even remotely materialistic at all. But looking across at these people, and I was like, wow, if they can do it, then I can knock this thing out of the park. And that self-belief, that made me realize that why would I ever work for someone else to make their dreams come true? So from that moment, I've really, really backed myself even if things haven't manifested at the speed, or even if it's taken me on different directions and things, there hasn't been a single doubt or chink in my self-belief from the moment that I had that epiphany. It hasn't stopped short-term frustration and and, and various heartaches along the way, but that self-belief has been completely unwavering. And I am just excited to, to see where it ends up. And when you hear quotes like, My greatest fear is that when I die, the person that I am meets the person that I could have become. You hear quotes like that, and it's like, we've got one life. Let's just get after it as as well as we possibly can. Otherwise, we're doing a disservice to all the people who believed in us along the way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There are so many times whenever we're in this place where we're trying to not accept the reality of the situation, and we just stay stuck in that place. When we're talking about people that overcome adversity, What is it that allows one person to get stronger from it? And then some people that just stay arrested in their development from there, something happens when they're 25 and they just stay unhappy for the remainder of their existence. I interviewed a guy called Todd Love, who at the age of 18 was clearing a house in Afghanistan, this hut in Afghanistan, IED went off, woke up in a hospital bed in Germany, reached down to try and feel his legs and he felt the hospital bed. And I mean, I just can't even imagine what a crazy situation that would would be in. Doctor comes in, says, your right arm is so badly crushed and damaged, we need to amputate it. Triple amputee at the age of 18. Crazy, crazy, crazy story. And he said that trauma, you know, that adversity that he faced was actually a gift, which seems crazy. That was actually a gift because it made him aware so he could recognize all of the people in his life who were so loving and compassionate to him. You hear stories like that, and it's like, wow, this is just, we have no awareness of what it is that we, that we already have. Recognizing that there's always something that we can do, no matter how terrible or tragic our circumstances can appear. And of course, there's a process of grieving like it was for Todd, I'm sure, and Janine Shepard and all of these different people who, who we know. But the moment that you get that little glimmer of hope that's when you've got to go all in. And that's where I like trying to think about what is the value that you can provide and what are the things that you want to learn and what's the direction that you want to go in and who are the people who can help me along that way. I'm very big on the idea of having a personal growth committee where if there's something that you want or something that you're struggling with, who are the two or three people in your network who you trust, who are positive-minded, they have that abundance mindset and will do whatever they can to help you. They'll tell you straight up if something's not right or if something's a really bad idea. And then once you have that counsel and then that direction of what you want and an acute idea of the value that you can provide in whatever situation it is, just move forward and and recognize that there will be tough days. But 
everyone has their own adversities. And I, I think the biggest fool's errand that we have on this planet is trying to benchmark pain with each other. There are people who've grown up in incredible luxury and incredible good fortune who have killed themselves at the age of 18 or 25 or, or 30 because they have not been able to handle it. Just as there are people who have, you know, like Todd, who have grown up in the, you know, and been faced with devastating circumstances who have been able to, to rise to the occasion. That's so true. And it's interesting. It's very easy for us to be philosophical about somebody else's headache, but when it's our own, now we want to be the exception to the rule. But again, diversity doesn't care about what you think, who you are, what you believe in. It's here right now. You, you're very rooted in true gratitude, but also reality. And I see a lot of people now that have this almost toxic positivity where they sit with their hands under their lap and they just, they say, oh, well, the world's falling apart, but I'm grateful. And you can tell that they're, they're really not. They're just sort of saying that, or they're, they're talking themselves into this victimhood. How is a way that you, you keep yourself or even your clients barely affixed to what's going on with terra firma to keep them in the reality of right now? Uh, it's it's a, a lot of these things come back to awareness. So a coaching call that I had yesterday was actually two of the coaching calls I did yesterday. We were talking about there is a lot of uncertainty and you know we're about to, if we're not already in it, which I believe we are, this big market downturn. How is that your opportunity? So not how is that the struggle? How is that the opportunity? Because in times of uncertainty, people are drawn to leadership. They're drawn to that clarity and away from confusion and fear. What are we doing to provide leadership to our clients? And what is the opportunity to actually grow the business during this time? So I think awareness and recognizing that it's actually an opportunity in a growth phase. And a simple way of thinking about that in terms of like another practical example would be the share market. Now, this is the time, like the Warren Buffett quote, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. This is a time when the smartest people in the world are getting as much money as they possibly can because they're going to buy an enormous amount of shares while... At the same time, other people who don't really understand this read a headline about, oh, wow, this big market downturn's coming. I'm going to sell everything that I have. So they're selling, they're selling low. And then when all the stuff talks about how much money is being made, they're going to buy really high so they can never really, never really get ahead. And that echoes my sentiments. The clients that I have with the companies that they have, when we leaned into that adversity two years ago, were aggressive because the top guys... They don't care. They're insulated. The people at the bottom are not going to make it. In the middle is your opportunity. And there's always opportunity in chaos, but you have to wade into it with the knowledge that you can survive it and come out on top. But if you're just waiting back like everybody else, sometimes we don't have the luxury of being philosophical when we're in the face of adversity. Yeah, so true. So true. Very true. Tell us more about where we can learn about you, about your masterminds, about everything that you have going on. Yeah, well, people can connect with me on Instagram at James Witt or look up James Whitaker or win the day over at TikTok. I like TikTok as a platform, so I've been doing a lot more, a lot more things over there. And yeah, I have a podcast called Win the Day. So yeah, if there's anything that I can do to help people out there, send me a DM or, or let me know. I'd love, to, I'd love to help in any way I possibly can. And your podcast is fantastic. Janine Shepard, I love that woman and your interview with her was incredible. Thank you so much for all that you're doing, for the work that you're doing and for your time. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise. Thank you, Marcus, and keep up all the awesome work you're doing. You as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.